From the Multiply family of churches, we are Behind Open Doors, a podcast designed to take you behind the scenes, discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. We're located in the U.S., the Hampton Roads region of Virginia. Visit us at multiplythechurch.com. My name is Aaron Denny, Executive Director of the Multiply Family of Churches, and on this episode, a very special one, I am joined by my rib, the joy of my life, my ride or die, <laughs> my wife, Katie. Welcome to the show, babe. Hi. So glad that you're able to come on with us today. And of course, Katie is a wife and mother, but she is also the director at Coaster Coffee an officer on the board of the Ocean View Business Association, and oh yeah, keeps a house of seven operating with the bills paid, the fridge stocked, all well, hitting the gym every other day at 5 a.m. How in the world do you keep it all together? Is that like the most common question that you receive from people? How do you keep all this stuff together? How do you do all this stuff? Um, yeah, that is by far the very tippy-top question that I, that I receive. Yeah. And when we, we're going to talk a little bit about that, just kind of how those questions land for you uh, in general. Um, but when you list out all the things, as I just did, um, it's no wonder why we go to bed very tired at night, right? Um, I don't get up at 5 a.m. Let me be very clear about that. Um, but this is partly what we want to discuss today. We just want to take folks behind the scenes as a pastor family and uh, discuss some of the, the trials and the difficulties we have faced or are currently facing. Not all the negative, of course. There's a lot of joys and glories that we get to share with each other and with other people as well. In all of it, of course, we want to honor Christ as Lord and do all that we can to make Him the central focus with this grace-driven effort. And we're thankful for grace because whew, we fall short. And we do so quite often uh, with each other and with our family, but we're thankful for God's grace in that. So for you, the listener today, uh, chances are you're not a pastor um, and probably not a pastor's wife. So be thinking about, as we talk through some of these things with our stories and just some of the experiences you're going to hear, be thinking about your pastor and, and his wife and, and how you can be a help or an encouragement to them. And at the very least, just have a fresh understanding of, of what it means to lead out in ministry and lead out in the church that Christ has called us to lead. Um, hearing someone else's story or testimony is always an opportunity to learn. You just, you learn, you know, what mistakes were made, what wisdom is shared, and what can I take away as a follower of Jesus in my setting right now? So we invite you to be asking yourself these questions today. Before we get started today, a quick reminder. This podcast is written, produced, and distributed all in the family. The Multiply family of churches, that is. Your giving to the Multiply project makes this possible. We just recommitted our yearly contributions or pledges a couple of weeks ago, and we invite you to do the same. You can give to the Multiply project by making a pledge with us or by a one-time donation at multiplythechurch.com. Praise God for a great start to a fresh season of multiplying the church. Amen. You're really good at that. You're really good at these. <laughs> Trying to butter me up. <laughs> We're going to start today by telling a little bit of our story. And um, I hope it's encouraging to you. I love hearing people's stories. The older I get, the more um, 
I, I like to hear the story of, um, of behind the scenes of somebody. You know, mm-hmm. we just, um, we're in the midst of a week right now together without our kids, which is a very unique experience for us. So strange. Um, and we just came from a little town in uh, North Carolina, a little uh, bed and breakfast spot down there. Heard the story about these this older couple from New York that came down, bought a place, and it was their semi-retirement plan where they're still working this bed and breakfast, but they, they told us a story about how they came down here and how they bought the place in, in Carolina and how they uh, use that and then take their vacations. And we, we may have gotten a coffee sale out of the deal. And um, we may so have. <laughs> we don't know. But um, but anyway, I just, I love just listening to their story was was encouraging. Um, and uh, so I hope this is encouraging to you today as we as we talk through a little bit of our story. You know, um, I'll start just by saying, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home. My family uh, still uh, very strong Christian people, um, probably more moralistic in my younger years as they were learning how to follow the grace of Christ um, when they, as my parents got older. Um, Katie, of course, was kind of a nominal, not so Catholic, like barely, you know, what, Christmas and Easter, mm-hmm. essentially, was yeah. kind of with grandpa and that kind of deal, right? Yeah. Um, so we were high school sweethearts, believe it or not. Um, we started dating when I was 15. Do you remember that yeah that you, was, were, you were so young yeah you were driving like you were driving me around would you stop giving my age away <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> uh you, you were driving me around in my little red car and uh you know we uh we split in a very sad high school breakup moment um when i moved to virginia um to enter into the next 18 months of our lives which we would both agree was the worst part of our lives separate yeah. from one another in all seriousness like it was it was hard it was very difficult you were up in PA trying to find yourself in your own life and I was down in VA trying to create a new me essentially Mm -hmm. um and we all kind of we both kind of reached the end of ourselves right so I'm I reached the end of myself I move out of my little uh frat non-frat house at ODU up to uh Ocean View and then around that same time your grandpa passes away, your parents divorce, and you came to Virginia on what you thought was going to be a long vacation. Uh, I find this out later on. Right. Um, until I triumphed by convincing you to marry me. <laughs> in, a, in, a, yeah, in a little proposal on a beach in Willoughby, um, where we live now uh, as a result. Uh, I, I don't know. This many years later, like twenty years full later, circle or something. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> um, so August two thousand three, our life begins together. We we gain some church friends that are still friends to this day. Uh, we're serving you in youth ministry. You've got a, a job at the bank. I'm a delivery driver and going to delivering documents and going to school and you know starting our early twenties life together. All this to say, now this is a very brief background on us, but all this to say. Ministry was not on your radar, like, at all. Like, we were, you go to church. That's just that's what you do. Like, you went right. to church with me and my family when I was in youth ministry. That was your most exposure, or when I was in, literally in youth ministry as a youth kid, right? That was your most exposure to church and to youth and all that kind of stuff. Um, so ministry is not on your radar at all. Uh, so what's, what was going through your mind as I, as we were kind of serving in youth with friends and then we find out the youth pastor's leaving and he wants me to take on this youth pastor role. I 
eventually did, took it on, and now I am the youth pastor. And I had making 13 grand a year part-time youth pastor was like my dream job. Like, I'm like, yes, this is it. This is where I want to be. And what was going through your mind during that time? Um, as we began talking about this, you posed that question. I was like, this is going to be very, a very fresh revelation all over again for me, because at that point I wasn't thinking about, um, helping to mold and shape the lives of teenagers because I was 23, 24, 25 ish. Um, I don't have a lot of life experience. I didn't know, I didn't know what would be expected of me, but, um, I remember praying with your dad, uh, in our living room and we didn't even have a carpet and the hardwood was so like the hardwood floor was so, um, old and cold because it was like February or something. And I was sitting on a pillow and I remember your dad praying that if this was what God had for your life, that it would be, that this would, it would pan out. And, and of course I don't know word for word, but as I think about it now, that was really a really pivotal moment for us, for you, um, that I didn't know that I would be in the midst of such a great story because I didn't recognize that I was going to be the youth pastor's wife. That wasn't a thing for me. It was your career. It was something you were embarking on. And I just got to be along for the ride, which was wonderful because I just wanted you to thrive. Did I answer the question? Yeah. Yeah, I think (laughs) so. Uh, And that's, I'm, I'm sitting here a little bit, uh, in wonder because I'm trying to remember that time. And I don't know that I've ever heard that about you talking to my dad. So that's kind of cool. Also interesting. Like another things that are swirling in my mind is the (laughs) fact that literally today we're going to clean out the house that we used to live in during this time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that we've now sold and new people are going to be moving in the next week or so. And so like a lot of interesting things swirling around in this, in this kind of discussion in this moment. Um, and so, yeah, I remember you, um, you didn't have a lot of apprehension. You were really, you did, I think I can corroborate that to say you were really focused on if this is what you need to do, then you should do it. Um, I wasn't making hardly any money at the, the job that I was at. So it wasn't really a money change that was the issue. Um, it was more about the time that I'd be spending um, and, uh, and it being a shift now, and there was, these were very pragmatic reasons at 22, 23 years old, you know, so it was not, uh, a question of, uh, it wasn't all, always a question of calling at first, which is kind of weird. I guess it's safe to say too, that, um, I, we kind of dabbled in this role at a different church down the street mm-hmm. that needed some help with youth. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a little bit. I was terrible at it. Like I literally came up with, you know, Sunday school, um, questions and stuff from different books and whatever, and uh, tried an event or two, and now all of a sudden I want to take on this role at a larger church that we were we were a part of, um, and uh, yeah, I, I had no idea what I was doing, um, but I knew that for me this is literally like this is what I really believe God was calling me to do. I don't know if I would have said that at the time, but um, yeah, I wanted it really bad. Like mm-hmm. I, I really wanted it. Um, so we go through eight years of youth ministry 
at the church we were at. And um, we learned a lot, you know. Um, we learned a lot in ministry. We wore a lot of offensive clothes on Sunday mornings, <laughs> at least offensive to older folks, um, you know, holes in the jeans. I had and, holes in the knees um, of my jeans. I stopped wearing suits at one point, you know, and uh, transitioned to, I guess, what we now call affectionately the OV flannel, you know, uh, flannel and jeans. Uh, so, you know, we get into this, uh, this role now, which is now about 10 years ago of senior pastor. So now you've got eight years of foundation of ministry under your belt. Um, I take on this, this senior pastor role. Um, what's going through your mind at that point? I want to rewind just a smidge because I think it's safe to say that when you went into that youth ministry position, I didn't fully understand the weight of what God was calling you to. Um, I think that I was along for the ride, but pleasantly surprised or would be surprised that I would find um, a very motherly type of role, even though I wasn't a mother yet. And, um, I was, I was on board because I wanted you to succeed. That was, that was my, my main focus. So that was before God would reveal many things that he had for me. So I was finding what God had for me through the track that you were taking. Um, that was a that was a really big deal for me. And now that I think about it, and now you're now the question on the table is embarking on senior ministry. I wasn't ready. I was pregnant with baby number three. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Pregnant with baby number three. And we went through the receiving line and my sister-in-law went through the receiving line. She said, you're so ready for this. And I cried right there because I knew I wasn't. I didn't really have um, any great models to look for towards we had great pastors who came before us that paved the way. Um, I will have to say I learned how to be a little bit more quiet and reserved uh, from our, our pastor's wife, uh, Miss Cindy. Um, she learned a lot. And she knew when to speak. And when she was ready to talk, you should listen because the weight of her words were going to mean something. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't ready. In fact, six months after that, I said, um, adults are really hard, and I'd love to go back to student ministry. Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, I was joking, kind of. Right. I mean, it, 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 it was hard, uh, for sure. Um, a, a major change, you know, it's, uh, it's not just the age of the people, that changes. It's the complexity of the problems that right. change. And of course, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, youth kids seem a little easier. And plus the youth kids that we were mostly 
dealing with were pretty, not all troubled, but didn't necessarily come from great family backgrounds. So we kind of got to be the anchor for them and the, and that, that positive influence for them. And so, um, they looked to us for a lot. And so, yeah, the going into, um, uh, senior pastor ministry was, was a very different thing. And then the people that started coming, started coming from mostly the preschool of our academy and they were pretty broken, pretty Mm -hmm. messed up. And, uh, and you know, people are messy. And so, um, we just kept preaching the gospel and pointing people to Jesus and, um, and they, uh, uh, either believed and received and were baptized or they moved on, you know, um, but it was, it was difficult either way. And, um, yeah, I think, um, when you say that you didn't have great models, I think what I heard you saying in that was that, yes, you know, we had Miss Cindy and some others that maybe we knew from back home or whatever, pastors, wives that we could think of, but there was such an age gap. I was 30 years old when I took on the senior pastor role at a church that was a hundred and something years old. So it's not like I was a church planter going and starting a new church at 30 years old, which is fairly common. It's that I took on an old church at a young age and the guy that was leaving was pushing, he was around 60 at the time. So there's a 30 year gap between us. And now we're this kind of young pastor, pastor's wife, you know, coming in to take on a, fairly old church at the time there was some new some younger blood there but um but it was very very mixed and so um so did, do you think that informed some of your feeling of inadequacy there that we were so young and a lot of people were a lot older than us absolutely and i think that is something that plays still plays out today um i say this often and i and i say it to young people um I'm not that old, but I say it to younger people than myself with, you know, not as much life wisdom, life experience. I wish I had listened more and talked less because what we had was such a wealth of knowledge. But when you are in that age range where you're 30 and you're like, I'm 30, I've, you know, I've had some life experience. You've had no life experience comparative to the, you know, 60 plus uh, demographic that was in our church that was had so much knowledge and maybe not knowledge in ministry but on how to love people and care for them and especially in our community because they'd all been there for their almost their entire lives um, that would that would have been very essential for me at that point um, and so I when and whenever I cross paths with someone um, there's a, a group of ladies that come to the coffee shop and there's one in particular and she, takes me by my elbows and brings me in, you know, it's almost like the equivalent of putting her hands on your face. Um, and she says, I see you and I love you and you are important and you are special. And that's something that's, that's, that's something that, um, I should have sought out a long time ago so that they would know I cared too. Because sometimes when we reach a point in our lives, um, and I've heard this from, from the ladies, you know, we've, you know, we kind of stick together because we're all we have, you know, sometimes the kids don't want to listen to us <laughs> and I know that's true. Um, so kids listen up and ask the questions, <laughs> sit down and have a conversation. Yeah. Put your phone down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. What other ways have you have you grown over the past ten years as a as a pastor's wife? Um, once again, kind of reminding like you didn't marry a pastor, you didn't marry anybody that was going into the pastorate necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of had to accept it as it as the Lord has led. Um, so, what are some other areas that you feel like you've had to grow and um, immature over the past ten years? Hmm. So many. Which one? Um, I'm going to go back to also just following you as a leader in our home. I was always going to follow you as a leader, that you were a leader very early on in our relationship before we were even married. Um, I think you came by that honestly. Uh, God had a plan for you from the very beginning, of course. And um, so it was easy as your as you would change in ministry that I would change with you. Um, I would say one of the biggest things, one of the biggest ways that I've grown is for our children uh, as they grow and have more questions and just basically get to know more than you um, uh, with the resources that they have. Um, I think I learned alongside them because I wasn't grounded in the gospel from a young age. Um, we read uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I can almost say every single word of every single story in that book because we had just read it so much. Um, we have five children. We read it a little less now, but when when we read it to them in the evening or before bed, usually um, our youngest, he, he doesn't want to stop reading the stories. Um and that's how I grew. I, I honestly grew early in that like 10 year, that, that mark where you became senior pastor. Um, I grew by reading the Jesus storybook Bible. And then when our kids would ask us a question, um, so their growth and their knowledge and their questions made me grow. And I think that's something that moms need to recognize. Um, but as a pastor's wife, um, Loving people unconditionally. Um, I'm not great at it, but I'm better than I used to be. And that was modeled well for me um, by your grandma. Mm. Uh, I can throw a lot of things back to grandma, didn't he? But um, that's one thing. Um, she was the first person to accept me in your family. She was. She gave me my very first Christmas present in 1990. Seven. Seven. Holy smokes. Um, Robbie was barely even born then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, just that that piece of care for people, um, no matter how long or how how short their stay may be with us. Uh, We live in a very transient city, uh, Navy town, uh, other military as well. And... You become attached to people. And so it breaks your heart a little bit when they have to leave because you've poured into them so much. Uh, I think that guarding your heart is important, but not being able, but not forgetting to love unconditionally just because that's what we're called to do. Yeah, let's um, go back for a second to what you were talking about. One of the ways that you grew was the Jesus Storybook Bible. <laughs> I think... Uh, you know, I remember um, I had 
been going to seminary around these ta- this time as well, mm-hmm. learned about this little kid Bible, you know, and we started buying, we bought it, we loved it, and so you've made it your mission to essentially buy it for every kid or family that you that come that yeah. we come across and over the last uh, 15 years but um i think that like the because of the way you were so focused on the bringing up of and the discipling of our kids um that's where it kind of came to life but i also think that there were a lot of conversations that you and I had as I was going through seminary too, that were, you know, deeper and more mm-hmm. theological and, you know, just whatever that, that kind of, uh, we'll say planted plants and multiple different gardens as it were. And it's like, this is the thing the book was in the dealing with it with the kids was kind of what brought it to life. Right. Would, would you say that's, that's accurate? Absolutely. Um, um, you going to seminary, that was, that was, amazing for me. Um, it was essentially like I went to class with you and, and I did actually go to class with you a couple times. Um, that was way more boring than having you bring it back home and talk about it or call you on the three hour drive (laughs) home and say, Hey, this is what I learned today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, those, those conversations, they, they did grow me. Um, the things that you were learning, uh, the books that you read, um, my favorite class was Old Testament. Yes. <laughs> it was mine as well. Yeah. In fact, well, when you taught that, when you taught through that Old Testament, um, uh, I think it was a Sunday school mm-hmm. edition or something, and yeah. you did it twice. Yeah. I went to both. I went to both. Yeah. Because <laughs> you love me so much. No, it was Old Testament. <laughs> I mean, I love you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I think that's part of what the Jesus Storybook Bible does, too, is it... It, uh, it says, um, one of the taglines is, every story whispers his name. Yeah, right. It's, of course, speaking of Jesus. And right. so one of the things that came to life for me in the Old Testament was, when I did go to seminary was that Christ in all of scriptures, you mm-hmm. know. And so, and that's, you know, part of what Southeastern drills into you is that whether it's, you know, New Testament prophecies, Old Testament, you know, whatever, like Christ is the center of all of it. He's the main right. point. And so... Yeah, I don't. I think that that wasn't something that uh, was very evident um, for me um, growing up, and also this was a, it was something new, it was something fresh, but it was also something rich. It was something that was like, wow, this makes a lot more sense now. And um, and so we wanted to, we kind of made it our mission to help our kids understand that right. from the beginning. Right. Um, and I think again that that probably needs to be on one of our resources at the bottom here. That yeah, it's the Jesus Storybook, <laughs> Jesus Storybook Bible. Bible yeah. for and sure. if you're local and you don't have one, um, reach out. I know a church that does. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll get it to you for sure. So um, we've been making this a lot about kind of the pastor's wife, um, just because it's unique that you're here today. And, uh, um, you know, shout out to John. Love you, bro. You'll be back soon. Uh, looking forward to it. But, enjoy um, your vacation. Enjoy your vacation. <laughs> but, um, but but Katie's filling in, doing a great job today, and we're, we're excited about it. I want to I want to talk more a little bit about the um, the the struggle a little bit and just the um, what has been what has been hard to live up to for you because um, I think uh, again you came in with a model that was thirty years older than you multiple that were thirty plus years older than you and and now you're here 
just over 30 years old and now working through this over the last 10 years. Um, what kind of things have been hard to live up to for you or what have, uh, what maybe, uh, maybe it's some unrealistic expectations that you've put on yourself or that others have put on you. Um, just let's, let's just kind of talk through that a little bit and some ways that the, the pastor's wife is viewed that gets that kind of, it might irk you a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, uh, let's get you a little bit worked up. Here. Okay. I can do that. <laughs> um, don't ask for what you're not prepared for. Um, um, uh, one of the things that I say often, uh, is that it seems, and I, and I say this in a safe place, so I'm going to, there's only three of us here, so we're going to pretend like this is a safe place. Um, I've been put on a pedestal that I didn't build. That's a lonely place to be. And I don't, I don't think that's a healthy place to be either. Um, I'd like to stand on some solid ground with some good friends who are going to tell me when I'm, when I'm doing something that's not okay or helpful, um, uh, harmful even to myself or those around me. Um, if you've ever heard the saying, it's lonely at the top, I'd really like to smash that crest of whatever because I don't want to be at the top I want to be at the bottom I want to be there where the roots are I want to help people break ground and I want them to I want them to flourish I want the leaves to be seen more than the roots because that's that's where that's where the beauty is um It, so you, I hear you saying the the nurturing aspect for you is something that's important, and that um, I, in our culture, I, I think it's changing. It's changed a lot over the last ten years for sure. But coming into an older church with an older culture, there were some expectations put on you that you were like, "Yeah, I'm not doing that." You know, like yeah. um, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to host the ladies tea. I'm just not, I'm not going to do that. I would um, now. Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, um I'm not going to organize all the baby showers. I'm mm-hmm. not going to. Yeah. So you all, we had kids of our own as well, sure. you know, going on three at the time. Now we have five. Um, so things have changed over the years because we've had to focus. You have had to focus so heavy on our family and right. home. So sure, um, the care aspect is huge. Um, I, I, I love to care for people. Um, uh, early on in my childhood, adolescence, um, I made my dad's lunches. I left him notes, which he would save for years, and I found um, in a box uh, a couple years ago when he passed away. Um, Daddy, there's leftovers in the fridge for you. Have a good day at work, you know. Um, Caring for people was important to me, even when I didn't know why I wanted to care. Um, propping people up, sending them out the door to do their best, uh, that was that's important for me. So imagine a life of caring, 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 and be, being placed on this proverbial pedestal, right? Um, where you basically can't be cared for because you must 
you must be, you must be good. You must know, you must know Jesus loves you and, and all your needs will be met. And, you know, you must know that must be in the forefront of your mind, but, but you can't, you can't pour from an empty cup. And when you care and care and care for people, and I love caring and I will never stop caring for people. But when you feel empty and you, you're giving, 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 and it doesn't seem like anything's coming back, first of all, you need to check yourself and make sure that someone isn't actually caring for you and you're having a pity party. But, <laughs> or um, um, the, the latter could happen because um, um, the, the people around you just, you may be put on a facade, everything's good with you. Because um, it's not always good. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've, I've also heard you talk about <laughs> that, uh, it kind of cracks me up to be honest is, um, it's not funny. <laughs> is <laughs> don't assume that she, the pastor's wife, don't assume that she knows what's happening on a Sunday in the sermon or really much of anything beyond her family and her job, because that's, got its own weight and its own focus. Um, she is not the pastor, right? She's the pastor's wife. Um, you know, maybe some pastor's families do this better than us where, you know, I've heard some say, yeah, I, I go through all of my notes with my wife before Sunday and, uh, make, and she's my biggest critic, you know, to make sure everything's set ahead of time. And you're sitting here bug-eyed looking at me like, Heck no. No. Like, that no. is not happening. No. God did not give me that vision. That is not what I'm here for. I am here to care for you and prop you up to do the best job that God has given you, not me. And I love that job that you have, but I do not want it. And he did not call me to that job. Yeah. <sighs> okay, now I'm a little worked up. <laughs> All right, let's keep it going here. Um, no, because I, I think it's you have you've talked often to me and to others as well about how you you actually don't want to hear anything about the message ahead of time like we it's very rare that I pass something by you ahead of Sunday unless it's something that I'm really like either concerned about or have a major question about or whatever um but it's very rare because you want to be pastored yes as well I think the one thing that people don't understand about our relationship as a marriage relationship and then also as a pastoral relationship is that the pastor's wife needs a pastor too. And given the circumstance that we were placed in, um, not a bad one, but we just didn't have any churches around us or alongside us that looked like we do now or did 10 years ago. So I didn't have a pastoral presence, only you. Um, So when you are preparing a sermon, you know, that that is a word from God that is, it is for me. Um, it's going to come through you. It's for other people too, but it's not from you, my husband, it's from you, my pastor. Um, so yeah, being separated on a Sunday morning is almost a little bit more healthy for our marriage. Mm. Um, uh, when you leave early, that's helpful for me because now it's go time because five kids have to get out the door. And I, typically just get in the way anyway. Yeah. So we don't know what to do when you're around <laughs> on Sunday and, it's very and that's okay. It's <laughs> very clear. And I understand that. Um, you know, there's, there's times where I'll, I'll pull back, especially lately, the last several months I've been able to, uh, 
be in a space where it's like, all right, well, we'll ride together today. And at first it's like, all right, cool. We get to ride together. We never get to do that. And then we get to the day, like we wake up and Mm-mm. I'm like, I'm like, can I just go? The like, day you say it, <laughs> the day you say it, you're like, oh yeah, on Sunday, it's Tuesday on Sunday. I, I can ride to church with you guys. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I mean, I love you. <laughs> it's, it's just so different because you know, it's we have single, single mom Sunday. Right. It's really what it, what it is for you. And, uh, and some evenings too during the week, but, um, you know, it's similar to military wives where it's not as much, not as much prolonged absence unless I'm on a, a, a trip or something, but it's not nearly as long as a deployment. Right. But, but sometimes uh, even physical presence, especially, you know, two years ago when I was headed towards sabbatical, sometimes that physical presence from me did not necessarily mean that I was fully present either, right? And so we went through a, a tough time, and we've, and we've since kind of flip-flopped, actually, if, mm-hmm. we're being, if this is a safe space, right? Yeah. So um, where a couple of years ago, I didn't know what I had this, the... Uh, what Spurgeon calls the dark night of the soul, right? Mm-hmm. Come over me and uh, and it was not in a healthy place. I've talked about that a few times here on this podcast. And um, and I don't know, what what were you processing through as you observed me um, working through that time in our lives? So I can, I can, I can throw back to that so quickly because... I was embarking on a career path that I didn't know I would have. And I was so steeped in the unknown of the business. Everything was new and all Mm -hmm. that, yeah. Um, Of the coffee shop that I couldn't see your hurt. And I don't know if that, because, because you've been our fearless leader for such a long time, I don't, I, I think that was God, sheltering me from how hurt you were because I would have felt your pain too. And I'm, I'm not sure that we would have come out on a, uh, as healthy as we did when you had rest, when the rest was given to you. Um, I, I think it, it's not like I knowingly turned a blind eye. I think I was just, I was so busy that I couldn't see your pain. That might not be helpful. But I think that's what it was. Yeah. And then since then, over the last couple of years. Um, so I have to. No, sorry, go, ahead. go. Yeah, go ahead. So I think that maybe that is a help for you because that is you reuniting what God had for you through that pain. Because I care for people. I want to fix things. I don't know if that would have been helpful. Yeah, and realign your identity, maybe. I don't really know. Well, you're also like, you know, we talk about nurture and care, um, but we grew up in a uh, a time and a, uh, I think, a space and a culture um, where part of care was also challenge. We're both firstborns in our family, mm-hmm. and so, um, <laughs> so part of the care. We're a high-challenge household. Well, yeah. So part of the care part of us is um, 
well, you know, an unhealthy way to approach it would be like, hey, just get over it, right? Like, get build a bridge, you know, you'll get past <laughs> this. Like, let's. Fi- now we don't say that to each other now, but um, that's As the type much. of that's the type of uh, <laughs> of atmosphere you kind of get over. You know, you right. suppress feelings and you just get you push past, and sure. um, that's not caring necessarily. No. Uh, but when you're when you're busy or distracted or um, not able to empathize well with somebody who's going through a rough spot, um, you kind of default towards like, I, I don't really know what to tell you. I don't really know how to, how you, to help you get past it. So, um, I'm here and that's like all you can do it, it, to care, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we went, we went out West that summer a couple of years ago and, uh, it took like three days for you to, be like present with the family and like, okay, we're away. We're gone for two weeks and I'm here. Like it took, it took a while yes, because you had to totally detach from uh, the things back home or whatever. Uh, we were with our kids obviously too, but, but yeah, but so that was just an example of kind of the, the, what you've had to do to, or what you had to do at the time to pull yourself away from normal routine and thinking. Um, and that takes time even now, like it's been, couple days since we've not had kids around and uh and it probably took a day and a half for both of us to be like okay let's let's breathe for a second let's just enjoy this you know um and that's often a result of the kind of the everyday fires that need to be put out right and the everyday like oh what's what's gonna break today what do i need to fix today Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and um (laughs) and just getting to a point where you're like, I don't really care what breaks today. I'm not fixing it today, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, that's, we went away last so. year. Um, and, uh, we did it again this year in May. Uh, but that last May, that was the first time we'd ever remember when we got to where we were going, we just sat mm-hmm. in the living room for 20 minutes. No words were spoken. Just, We weren't exhausted from the trip. It had been half a day. It was not a big deal, but it was just silence. And we, we don't know how to operate in silence. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's something I've learned over the past year is to just slow down and it's okay to be quiet. I think that when there's so much going on around with our kids, there's five kids, they're running around. Someone's always asking you a question or saying mommy or daddy. And, um, I think when we're in the car, I said this to you on the way this May when we went away. I think we don't talk because there's not, there doesn't have to be something said. But I feel I need to talk because the DVD's playing or the, you know, the kids are talking. And so we're talking. So I fill the space with more noise. And I don't know why I do that. I'm a nervous talker sometimes. But I've learned to move away from that. Um, and I think that's a healthy space. Just, just being mm-hmm. yeah present, present right just practicing the presence of each other <laughs> um there's a you know kind of an ancient um discipline of practicing the presence of god and that is being silent before him and just meditating uh in a in a biblical way of you know remembering the word not necessarily sitting and reading the word but sitting and remembering the word and remembering the promises and remembering what god has said right. and being in silence before him um like that old habakkuk quote 
above the baptistry in our church used to say, <laughs> let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Yeah, <laughs> and that room was never, never silent. Um, still's not. Um, but yeah, presence. But presence, presence with God, but also presence with each other, you know? And I think um, we learned over the last couple of years, and by the way, so we're... 19 years into marriage coming up this fall almost almost and uh in the last two has has been like the only time that we have regularly gotten away together by ourselves without kids now some of it is because the youngest is four now and that's it's helpful because you know he's not as scary for grandparents to (laughs) handle now he's actually fun yeah um but so, but that has been. This is a new era for us, and so some of may have, some people have maybe have, have experienced this before, way before us, because you know the kids are older or whatever. For us, this has been something new, and so, so this is a new kind of phase in our relationship as well. Is like, like you said, I don't have to be talking to uh, to communicate that. I'm here and I'm present with you. Right. And then if I'm not talking, it doesn't mean that I'm mad at you. <laughs> it means that we're okay for a moment. Just Which in know. my life, if we should set that up, is that if there wasn't any talking, there was that someone was irritated. Right. Um, and that's that's something you don't you know ever fully escape. You can know it, but you you don't. It's still a feeling. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, continue just one more thing on the kind of the family points here. Um, talking about just kids and uh, kids in ministry and kids as ministry kids, you know, or uh, PKs or whatever you want to call them. Um, talk a little bit about that, just some of the expectations on on family and on children. Um, so our kids go to private school. Uh, they go to OVCA. church. OVCA, shout out OVCA. OVCA. Um, they go to private school and they go to church at that school. So they, and a lot of their friends go to church as well. So you're talking about the same building, the same people, and four days a week they wear a uniform. So you have a lot of things that your kids are doing because they're told to do. Um, now they go to church and school because we say that's what's best for them right now. The, you know, the clothes thing, that's, you know, we don't think that's a big deal and we love that for laundry moms um, because it's the same thing every day. Uh, you just buy four of those outfits and you only have to wash laundry once a week, right? <laughs> that's not true. Anyway, um, I think that um, giving them a space t- where they can be uh, expressive, the only place really that they have that opportunity sometimes is church. So uh, kid number two was difficult when she was about two, three, four, right? Five. Um, five. Sometimes. Is she 13 now? Yeah, still. Okay, anyway. Um, so uh, she liked to wear what she liked to wear, and it never matched. And it, sometimes it still doesn't. Um, and I just really had to be hands off with that at some point. Um, when baby number three came along, you know, it got kind of busy. And, and I thought, you know what? Who cares if she wears that to church? So what? You know, it's appropriate. It's not 
too low cut or too short seamed or, you know, all the appropriateness. Um, but that was guided. She had shoes on and her hair was brushed. Now let her express herself. Um, and you know, for the first couple years, probably I got, I got some looks, I got some questions, people, um, young and old. Oh, we're wearing that today. Yes, we are. And you're lucky you didn't say that in earshot of my child because they need a place to feel safe and express themselves because we've given them so many boundaries that they have to learn to be people too. Um, I don't want my kids to grow up and say, yeah, I was a pastor's kid. You know, flat tone, disdain. Wasn't like Marilyn Manson a pastor's kid? I think so. Uh, Yeah. Just, I mean, you can go down the list of examples of PKs went bad. Right. Um, Yeah. And it's scary. I don't want that for my babies. That usually comes out of a fundamentalism, right? That's like very law oriented and not grace oriented. So I think that's what we're talking about here, right? Is they live their life in law Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, So they need some, they need to be shown grace and exercise grace, learn grace, live in grace um, so that they can see that the law is good. Right. And that's really what the point of the cross is, right? Is to show us that by grace we are saved through Christ. And so we understand that the do's and don'ts of the law are actually good. They were set up for you to succeed in life and to thrive in life and to honor God in life. Um, but when it's only about the do's and don'ts, then then we miss uh we miss grace. Yes. Right? Yes. Um and I I um trying to go back to the original point uh just letting them thrive as 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 who they are who god made them to be and if we don't give them some freedoms how are they going to find that out yeah yeah and and talk to them communicate with them you know set set boundaries for their electronics or whatever today's distraction is um um, make them put their things down and have a conversation play board games Conversation happens over board games. Aaron, yeah, I hate we could games. play board games more. <laughs> I hate board games. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, you're right. It's a, it's a really good point, though, about electronics. Like, we, we, we are in a family that's like, although it'd be easier just to say never, no, never electronics. Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be a lot easier to do. Um, it's more like we, we, we choose to fight the battle of screen time and all this different stuff, you know, when we're going through that right now with the oldest, just trying to like, she wants a little bit more freedom and we're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll extend the leash a little bit and, uh, and maybe take you off the leash and let you run around like a crazed dog for a little bit and see that it's not great for you. You know, I don't know. Um, but, but must not have actually, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but, but actually engaging it and then setting the boundaries is showing that, uh, that there are actually rules to follow, mm-hmm. that there, you know, and so um, I think that's important. And um, and it's not. I'm not saying rules aren't rules. Rules are rules. They're they're there for a reason. Um, usually because somebody messed it up, but also rules are a responsibility. It's a discipline, and if we if we miss showing our kids rules or anyone for that matter, that their responsibility and that just discipline to know right from wrong at an 
at a young age, the the moral ground and base that we are really setting them up for is is going to be solidified in all areas of their life. Not just read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Right, right. And there's so much that we could be saying on this, and uh, maybe we'll cover a little bit more here in a minute, but um, I think it's, uh, let's kind of tie a bow on this little section of like pastor family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get into some questions of kind of everyday family life and marriage topics. We'll talk, talk about that briefly here in a second. And then, um, and then getting into the end, we'll talk a little bit more about finding your space in ministry and what that looks like and, and what that looked like for us. Um, but uh, kind of, again, tying a bow on the main issue, the main topic today um, with this question. You, you said that when, you, when we began, you know, 30, 31 years old-ish, uh, you didn't have a lot of, of, of peer relationships that you could connect with as a pastor's wife. So um, in that kind of, now that you're in that kind of space 10 years now, what would you say to younger wives and pastor's wives that are stepping into this role or will be soon, um, and specifically the senior pastor role. Um, any any points of advice or things that you would focus on there? Absolutely. Um, know who you are in Christ, because I did not. Um, if you're struggling with your identity and the the mission that God has over your life as your husband leads you into that part of senior pastoral ministry or um, whatever the next step is for you. Um, it could know, be church planting too. Yeah, it could be church. Kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, know who you are because our world is quick to tell you who you are. And that's not for our world. That's for our God. He, he made you to be who he wants you to be in every aspect of your life. So if it's in senior pastor ministry, okay, great. If you don't know what that looks like, um, find someone who's been loving Jesus longer than you have. And it doesn't matter if they're a pastor's wife. Yeah. Because they have wisdom to give you. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like the goal of... um all of us as Christians is to find our identity in Christ, right? So other folks have certainly gone through this journey and worked through it. And so again, take, take it, take that position or that role off the pedestal for a moment Mm -hmm. and realize this is the same task of every person in the church is to find who they are in Christ. Um, love people well through that and, uh, and work through that. So, um, good stuff. All right. Well, I want to uh, I want to jump to our stat that portion. All right, so I want to read a stat, and I want to get some of your reaction to that. Okay, I've not read these. Stats. Um, you have not read the stat, but I want to hear your response. So, in a Barna Group survey, nearly thirty eight percent of pastors are considering stepping away from full time ministry. This percentage is up from the 29% previously reported in January of 2021. So this year, about there's been a 9% jump in pastors considering stepping away from full-time ministry. So the struggle is partially driven by the pandemic and disappointing burnout that so many faith leaders are feeling these days. Additionally, there are 
countless churches struggling to find pastors right now. So what I want to know from you is you're not necessarily in the church ministry field all the time, so you don't study trends like this all the, uh, a lot. How do you respond to this? How does this land for you as kind of, we'll just say, uh, um, somewhat average church member, right? Is it something that's surprising to you? Um, yeah. I'm not shocked by that at all. Okay, why? So a 10% in- increase, um, I, I would say that's, I would say that's, conservative um in the year in this past year given the extenuating circumstances we've had on society as a whole with covid um i mean this this is something that is going to be in children's history books in in years um so that stat does not surprise me whatsoever um what I would like to know breakdown. So when I get a stat, I'm not a numbers person, but since I'm doing business a little bit more now, I've become a numbers person because I work with two very amazing numbers people. Um, and then also you are a numbers person. But what I want to know is the breakdown of that, of that stat. Like what, was it too much on that person in, in leading ministry or was it too much on their family? Did they lose someone? Did someone not recover in a, de- a depression or anxiety-ridden situation where their call away from the ministry was now more to focus on their family? Um, I'd love, I'd love to hear a breakdown. Yeah. So you want to hear the stories behind I, the? Numbers, I want to hear the I story. I always want to know what the story is. You know. Um, I, I think all that is is kind of lumped in there, you know. They yeah. probably probably some of all that, right? And right. Uh, you know, I mean, I can only speak for myself. Like I didn't I, over the last two years, I wouldn't say that I wanted to be out of full time ministry. Um, in fact, I added two other jobs in full time <laughs> ministry. So, um, so but however, my my main job as uh, pastor of one church has shifted. And I think for me, it was something that was necessary, not because I was not, I don't think it was driven by the pandemic, um, or that I was like heading towards burnout in that regard. I think the burnout that I was facing was more towards my own personal kind of health and rhythms that weren't what they should have been. Um, and just going hard for for a long time, um, and so what did I do? I added more. Um, but no, I jokingly say that because what I added, though the director of multiply and then the area director for times twelve, was all the stuff that that I really love of leader development, you know, pastoral development, setting up and getting people ready for planting new churches. Right. Um, that was. Um, something that I kind of stepped, that is something that I kind of stepped into because I want to see people, more people thrive in a healthy way in local churches. Um, And I think I can help them with that because I did it pretty healthy for a while and then did too much. And, and I think I can help speak into that a little bit more. Does right. Sense? And, yeah. and, and as a, um, as a end goal that I think you weren't aware of was that 
it, it, the vision was set in those other spaces, those extra jobs, right? Um, that, uh, things would be planned out and processed out so that people can come in to come in, um, and do the jobs or tasks that you were doing, that you were, you know, doing a lot of. Um, and now these systems and processes are in place with a, a well-oiled machine. Um, uh, sometimes we always need a little bit extra grease, but a well-oiled machine nonetheless to create a, a bigger vision, a broader um, uh, reach, essentially, for our area. Yeah, okay. Well, that's good. Um, I'm not not excited about this statistic um, because it means that, you know, again, church is struggling to find pastors. Um, there was definitely a noticeable dip in 2021 of people not even thinking about church planting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that definitely slowed down progress. I know with times 12 and with uh, multiply, um, you know, our recruiting pools were very small because nobody's thinking about church advancement. They're all thinking about church preservation because I'm tired, you know, and, uh, and I totally get that. I'm excited for this, the rest of this year and into next, um, because I think this is going to start to shift because people are starting to hit rock bottom in their own personal lives, not necessarily pastors, but people in general are starting to explore faith a little bit more because it's like, wow, I can't just sit at home and buy stuff off of Amazon and get happy again. Like, it doesn't work that way. Oh, really? Yes, because you need more than that, right? Because so, we did that through the pandemic, right. and it didn't actually yeah, exactly. <laughs> didn't actually so, fix anything then either. Nope. Um so, all right, that's our that's our stat for the day. Um, what I want to do is spend a couple of minutes here um, talking through some questions that we get from people, and we will attempt to answer them as yeah as openly and as honestly as we possibly can. Um, typically, about once a year, you and I will get up on stage. Uh, at the church and we'll do a, like a Q&A where we'll take questions from people. And so we kind of compiled the questions to be some of the most common ones we get. And we're going to record some of our answers here so that um, we can point back to this uh, for people to refer to. This as is well. my once a year. This is your once a year. Yeah, yeah it is because uh, we're doing <laughs> Esther. Um, I know. I'm up so until excited. the end of August. Our so. oldest is so excited. Like when you announced that last Sunday, yeah. she was like, yes, <laughs> she was like throwing fist pumps in the air. I was like, yes. That's cool. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I love the story of Esther. Excited to get into that. And and as that, how it points to Christ, it'll be it'll be fun. So let's talk. um, Let's let's kind of keep these answers fairly concise, right, as we go through them, because I would like to hit most of them. um, But we're not gonna have time to do all of them extensively. So let's kind of hit them hit them pretty quickly here. So how do we make our faith, how do you, I'll pose it as if they're asking us, all right? How do you make your faith real to your kids? Um, in other words, how do you model the gospel to them or for them? How do you make your faith real to your kids? Um, so the, uh, our little notes and it has a s- stages. Um, so we have um, 14, 13, 9, 6, and 4-year-olds at our house. Um, and those ages and stages can get tricky. Uh, there's a lot of girls in the house and there's one boy and he's the youngest. Um, so as they, as the girls grow, I think I, I have a little bit more of a, um, a help with them 
Uh, of course, every little girl needs their daddy. But um, I think that as they're, as the 13 and 14-year-old are older, they're understanding things, thinking through life experiences very logically. Um, and they see how we um, go to work on a daily basis, how we handle ourselves, um, how we talk to one another, how we talk to them. And so they're... Um, their, their grace. They need to see the grace. They, you come home, it's been a hard day. You need grace. You need grace when dinner's not ready or their clothes aren't clean or, you know, the dishes aren't done. And the last two, the oldest two are very helpful with the dishes and laundry. But, you know, the six and nine, they're, they're still in that nurturing stage. They need they need more information. So it's a lot of whys and what's and um, training, training, right? training, yeah. pouring into them. So, so if we were to go to, um, we've talked about this in the mm-hmm. past as well, but go to uh, a much better podcast than this, uh, Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, <laughs> where he does a, um, him and his wife, Sandy, do an episode on parenting, or two episodes, I think. And I loved, they talked about the four stages yes. of this. Um, the first first stage that our four-year-old is in is in a development stage, mm-hmm. right? It's just nurture, care, love, grow, right? Just have fun, like pour into that that kid, right? The six and nine-year-old for us are in the like the training stage, almost seven, by the way. So, so yeah, definitely in that training stage, like, Do's and don'ts, rules to follow. Hey, give them three instructions and hope that they accomplish two of them, <laughs> um, right? And if we're lucky, uh, otherwise it's just one thing, right? Um, and then in that, you know, 13, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, it's in that kind of coach-mentor stage, right? Like you you coach them up, you send them out in the field, um, not afraid to rip them off the field and pull on their, their face, face mask, mask, you know, right? That kind of deal. But, but we're also mentoring. Um, a coach asks a lot of questions and a coach tries to help the person discover what they need to discover. A mentor tells them what to do, mm-hmm. right? Um, or gives them advice. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a, that's my favorite stage. Yeah. Coaching and mentoring is, is, it is a lot of fun. I love middle schoolers and then, uh, they still need you. Yeah. And then after that, into that, you know, adult phase of, you know, 18, 19 years old and on, it's a friendship phase um, that here at 40 that I'm in with my parents, right? It's a friendship. It's also, it's like a friendship mentorship, right? Right. And then you get to a point, especially where, now, yeah. where you kind of are mentoring your parents some, right. and they mentor you back depending on what the topic is or what's going on. So Such a weird shift. It is, it is. But so to, to recap, that's develop train, coach, friend. And so develop is up to about six, seven years old. Train is probably uh, from there to about 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, coach is about 12 to 18. And then friend is about 18 plus. That's kind of the way that we would break it down. So um, yeah. So how do you make your faith real to your kids? I think you notice what phase you're in or what stage you're in in life and, and deliver with grace, um, grace. The, the gospel. Yeah as it needs to apply to them, whether they're in development mode, training mode, coaching mode, or, or friend mode at the time. Yeah. Best example of grace I can give to date and maybe forever is, um, um, we are differentiating between grace and mercy in our house early on. And I think Sammy was <laughs> I don't know, three or four 
and she'd done something and I, you know, I, I quickly, you know, anger ridden, right. Took her dessert away. <laughs> we don't have dessert in our house every night, but there's a little something, you know, that you can find. And she came to me with tears in her eyes and she said, she said, mommy, I just need a little grace because I really want dessert. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that that kid always wants dessert. Always wants dessert. Yeah. Fast forward six years and she's still wanting dessert. Yeah, she's got my sweet tooth for sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Okay. Yeah, that was good. All right. Uh, <laughs> quickly on this one. Um, what does a healthy family devotional rhythm look like for your family? Um, for us, uh, it's less regimented and more, um, uh, I guess we try to take every day we're, we're looking for gospel opportunities, right. And right. teaching moments. It's easier when they're in school because they come home with some sort of conflict that they have that they need resolved sure. or whatever. Um, right now in this summer season, the discipling looks a little bit more like we're discipling in a coaching way to our olders. Um, and they are discipling the younger ones, Mm -hmm. um, with, uh, their, you know, their babysitting day or whatever of the week, how we roll it through the summer. And that's important. And I tell them often that don't forget that you spending time with them shows them that you care and that you love them and that you're willing to give a day of your summer vacation a week or whatever it is that we have that going on that week, they will remember that for the rest of their lives. That will set them up for success in a caring way, discipling way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, it's often. Mm-hmm. And the and Jesus Storybook Bible. Of, yeah. <laughs> often and ongoing, yeah, I think is uh, just, it feels like it's constant because there's so many of them, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but we're doing it differently again operating in and out of those different phases for each kid. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. I've got one for you. Okay. How do you handle disagreement? Hmm. How do I handle disagreement? Or how do you (laughs) handle disagreement? How do we handle disagreement? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to let you this one. Who can yell the loudest? I mean, you know, right? Just passion. (laughs) Um, No, uh, disagreement. And you know what? Sometimes. <clears throat> disagreement sometimes, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it, we get after it. Like, we are passionate people. Um, whatever you and I believe, even if it's very different, we both believe what we believe passionately. Yeah. And so... Uh, Firstborn. Yeah. So we have to make our statements known, and we want to make them known, and we do so passionately. And sometimes that comes out in argument, and that's not always healthy, but what has been healthy for us is we now know, after many years, we now know how to quickly forgive and not move on, but like and and get towards like living a normal life again, you know, right. and not being mad all the right. time. You know, and I remember this question from a long time ago too. Um, I think this one comes up often because everybody wants to know how to fight well, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure that's okay because you're still using the word fight. So disagreement is probably a better way. Yeah. It's a dance more than um, a fight. It's a, well, we go this way for your point and we come back this way for my point and let's sashay somewhere and slow down in the middle Mm -hmm. um, and and rest on what is uh, right in both of our eyes. Um, But that, you said uh, it was a long time ago, but it was um, after a lot of years of slamming doors. Um, 
that would be me. So I'm going to go ahead and take the credit for the slamming doors. Um, but also I think that what helps me handle disagreement a little bit better is that we have a lot of tiny ears in our house and they need to know what healthy disagreement looks like. And if we can't handle that in a healthy way, we're hurting them. Yeah. Yeah. I, so that's a back to the whole modeling. Always remember right. that you're, even in your disagreements, your more public disagreements with each other, that is also in a way forming and shaping the ones who are observing. Right. right? Um, I think our, one of the, uh, I think it may have been the second one at one point, uh, we were talking about this with them and, and she said, what I like about when you guys um, disagree with each other is how quickly you forgive. And I, or no, they were talking about themselves. They were saying about how quickly we forgive. Like we, we have a disagreement with one of our kids, usually the older ones, and, um, and we tell them what they need to do. They, they madly go away and do it, <laughs> but they come back and we act like everything's normal again. Right. Because why would I harbor any kind of sure. hurt, pain, resentment towards you just because I told you what to do and you got mad at me? Like, no, that, right. that we're not doing that. Um, we also operate that way when they wrong each other. You know, we, right. you come together, you're going to sit, you sit on the stairs for, I don't know, I don't care how long, together, side by side. I'll make you touch each other if I have to. But... It's, it's, I forgive you because the action, the, the offensive action, it's not okay. That language, it's okay. No, it wasn't okay, which is why you're in conflict, but I forgive you. Yeah. Even if you're not ready to say it. And Sammy, she's, she's, she's not ready sometimes. And, and I'm like, listen, you do forgive. You do because you love. And so saying those words brings you quicker to that resolution out of the overflow of our hearts, yep. our mouths speak. Yeah. That was good. Uh, next, what advice would you give for me in my dating relationship? How far is too far? What if I'm not ready for marriage and just want to date? Mm. Radio uh, silence. Uh-huh. Um, I think that if you just want to date, I'm going to throw it back to that identity piece. Um, and that's been a real big thing for me as of late, probably the last two years. Um, just, uh, the kids growing up, you settling into a good routine in your ministry and me as well, uh, in career path. Um, but identity, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. Now I understand wanting to meet new people. It doesn't mean you have to date them. Meet people, be in social circles, be in healthy social circles. You are not going to find that person at the bar. Truth. Mm, you're just not. And I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. That one's too big. Um, so it's, it's okay to date just as long as you have some healthy boundaries set, I suppose. But if that's, if that's all you really need, then just have a, a big social circle. Right. Or why is it called date? Yeah. It why is it called dating? dating? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that just, I think it's, um, one-on-one -on -one conversation is great. But it doesn't have to be a date. Right. You can both be single and have great one-on-one -on -one conversation and not call it a date. Because that puts some added pressures of... Where you start asking questions like how far is too far. Right. Um, if you're asking that question, then it's probably too it's far. It's too far. Like right. it's just right. kind of a general now, rule of thumb. Yeah. You can sit across the table from somebody 
um, that you met in your social circle at a bar, not that you met at the bar, <laughs> and ask the question like, how many kids do you want? Or what does the ideal marriage look like for you? You know, those are just single people questions. It doesn't have to be a date. Yeah. There's already enough pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I, obviously we've, <laughs> we don't have a ton of dating experience. We don't. Um, but we've gained knowledge from other people's experiences right. over the years that I think. Uh, and I'm thankful for those people who let us yeah. speak into their lives in those situations. Yeah. And, and, and then some that have come out on the other side and gotten married. You've done weddings where we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. How, how are you getting married right now? Yeah. You're 12 years old. <laughs> They're not 12, but. Yeah. Uh, no, I, <laughs> yeah, I've never married a 12 year old. They were, they were 12. Yeah. They, they were 12 <laughs> when we first met them and now yeah. they're, you know, 25. Right. And I, I think what advice would we give in someone's dating relationship? Take your time. Like yeah. it's, it doesn't have to be fast paced. I, I've heard somebody say this before and I, it comes off as a little bit, I don't know, uh, just, uh, abrupt or flipping but like god created you to love you can fall in love with almost anyone given the right amount of time so because love you choose love right you choose to love someone and so what advice would i give if this is a person that you think that you could possibly even remotely love for the rest of your life then give it some time, go through some conflict for goodness sake. Mm -hmm. Like don't, don't date and get straight to marriage without having fought about something first. Right. Um, and, and take your time and just, uh, uh, invite the Lord into the relationship, please, for goodness sake, let's, can we just state that outright? Mm -hmm. Like if you are dating somebody that doesn't know Jesus, um, just because it's good now, does not guarantee that it will be in the future. It will come up. Mm -hmm. Faith, where you stand with Christ, especially, especially if you are like trying to seek out um, a gospel-centered life and, and live in gospel-centered community and be on mission with God. If that is your aim in life, and that's what we teach at, at our church all the time, and somebody is not on that path, it, you're not necessarily going to win them to that just because you've now dated and are thinking about marriage. Um, it is something that will come up eventually, and if it's not dealt with before marriage, will potentially destroy the relationship. Um, and I think that is something that we've seen over and over and over and over and over again. And you hear it from people our age all the time. Trust me on this one. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to, it's, you're, you don't want to, I'm, I'm telling you, just don't even set yourself up for that right. uh, frustration and, and difficulty. And you're single and you're listening to this and you're like, oh my goodness, I've heard this so many times. Well, there's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to it. There's yeah. a reason. <laughs> Pay attention and, uh, and, and just know it's going to come up. It's come up for me. It's come up just with, with different staff people over the years, you know, like I disagree with somebody about a particular theological issue, but I'm okay with it for now because I need them to do this job. Um, but I know eventually 
that theological issue is going to come up and come out and we're going to hit our heads on it and there's going to be some disagreement. Um, that's happened and it's gone well at times where we've like acquiesced or been okay. And then most of the time though, it's like splitsville. Like we, we can't come to grips on this, on this, we're not on the same page. Mm. Um, it, so your theology un, always informs these yoked. things. Yeah. In ministry. Yeah, you can be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's a great, that's a, that's a great definition. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's do this last one, um, about depression. Um, the person said at one point, I struggle with depression, not constantly, but it comes up like a cloud overhead some days. How can I battle this in a healthy way, especially with my spouse? Apparently the person was married, you know, and, uh, had a question about like, if I'm struggling with depression, how do I do this in a married relationship? What does that look like? Well, I know that um, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, I know that you can ask me on any given day. Now, I don't have a history of depression. I think that um, I had some postpartum depression after baby number five. And I think it lasted quite some time. And I think it rolled into um, a season of, of, of busy depression. Um, I can just define that by um, just pure exhaustion, um, lack of care for myself. Uh, and you lost your dad as I, well. I did. So that, uh, about a year after the fifth kid. Mm-hmm. So a year and a half. So that kind of compounded it sure. to a degree. Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, new career path that, you know, I love, I loved when I started, I love now. Um, but when you don't know something, it, it can, um, it can make you stumble. Um, and, and the question you asked me recently, and, I, and maybe you've been asking me for a while, but the question you ask is, are you okay? It's a very simple question, but, but when you're staring out the window and you're clearly in the, and your spouse is clearly not okay. And you just say, are you okay? You want to rage because you, they don't know what you're thinking. You don't know how to express it, and you're clearly not okay. And you just want to yell like, "Well, no, look at me. I'm not okay." Um, so I think that um, I don't have the constant cloud overhead, um, like, or I'm um, sorry, not constantly. It says not constantly, but like a cloud overhead some days. I think that I think that just can be, you know. Sometimes we just have the blues, and sometimes we don't know what that looks like. Sometimes I just want to cry. That's okay. Sometimes I miss my dad. Sometimes I don't want to do all the tasks that I have to do. But I, I push on because, number one, that's, it's, that's what instilled for me at a young age. But I know my worth is found in something greater than my depression. I know that I push through because yes, there's people depending on me and, and, um, I'm going to set some examples, but what I find generally, um, I just read this in an article. Uh, I think Tim Keller's wife, uh, she said it, it happens time and time again where I, I just can't do the day. And God will lead me to conversation after conversation after conversation where someone just needed to listen to me or I just needed to listen to someone. I didn't do any talking, but they did all the talking and I just, I was there and I will walk away feeling 
fulfilled because I cared for someone. Um, that happens more times than not on the day when I just can't, you know, that, that people are now, oh, oh, I can't. Oh, I can't. Yeah, I got a lot of I can't. But I'm going to because I know that my mission is greater than the I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that depression is okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Uh, it's okay. Yes. Um, well, I mean, I've said... Short term. Right, right. <laughs> I've said a million times, like, it's okay to be where you are. Right. It's not okay to stay there. Correct. Right? Yeah. So... I agree. Um so yes, there's a part of it that is just recognizable. Um, you know, and I always go back to that, what is it, Second Corinthians 4, 7, I think, the, that we are a people that are sorrowful, yet rejoicing, yet always rejoicing, right? Like mm-hmm. we're, and that, that to me is, is more of the essence of a Christian life. That's why we can't, Sorry, Caleb, but that's why we can't be just positive, encouraging all the time. Like we're that's not real. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is one of deep sorrow because of sin and because of pain and because of heaping um, and compounding difficulties that happened in life, happen or happened in life. And you don't. It doesn't just go away. Like right. you know, I haven't lost a parent yet, but I've lost many, I've lost grandparents, I've lost friends, I've lost people in the church, and the the hurt is still there, and the pain and the emptiness of not having a person is still there, and you constantly are thinking about, not constantly, but you, you think about these people often, it, and it, it doesn't go away. You just learn how to, how to process it, you learn how to deal with it, um, especially if it's somebody that's close to you. Um, and so, so for me, when it comes to like a, uh, when I wake up there, I almost automatically know when I wake up in the morning, what kind of day it's going to be. And maybe not, that's not necessarily for everybody, but for me, I'm like, okay, today's not a good day. I either, like if it's a a day where I know I got to get a bunch of stuff done, Mm -hmm. then I have to almost like work my way towards that and be like, all right, there's a lot to do today, but I'm not good. So I'm going to start the day well. I'm going to take some time to get my day started. So I might go into the office a little bit later that day because I need to I need to read first. I need to pray. I need to just sit for a moment. I need to listen to some music that's going to help me um, process through and maybe worship a little bit. Right. Um, there's and- other days where I feed into it and I listen to depressing music um because that's just how i feel right now angry girl music uh, definitely not (laughs) (laughs) more like that whole outlaw country vibe you know that i talked about a couple episodes ago but um um i i have i'm gonna i'm gonna note too because the second part of the question is how can i battle in this in a healthy way especially with my spouse so you brought up a really good point something that i didn't understand from me as a spouse to you with a depressing day or wake up you know I don't know if you don't tell me yeah I don't know why all of a sudden you don't want the breakfast that I made after I've 
gotten my endorphin on at 5.30 a.m. And I come home and breakfast is for everyone. (laughs) And I've got your coffee ready and you haven't even opened your eyes yet. And you're like, "Uh uh-uh. You know. Not today. Not today. And so it's okay not today. But would you tell me, please? Because that's fine. And, you know, maybe I'm going to do a little bit of set you up for success as best I can. But but generally, maybe you just want to be left alone. And I'll ask that. I, I can. But this was a new territory for us in the last probably two years, both yeah. of us. Yeah, just communication. About right. It. Yeah. Hey, it's not a good day today. I'm having a hard time. I'm okay. Like, it's not despair, right? right. And I don't think either of us, we don't go to despair because we know, again, identity. We know who we are mm-hmm. in Christ. And so, so there's always a sense of hope. But yeah, there's a cloud on the day sometimes. Yeah, and we I, d- I don't, I don't, I don't give up. I'm still on mission. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do this. I just, I need a minute. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One of the primary roles of Multiply is to equip our family of churches with the resources they need to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. New churches are led by planters and teams who are prepared in our pathways to planting with the Times 12 Church Planting Network. You can go to times12.org to check that out. Leaders are developed using our soon-to-be-released leader pathway by the end of the month here in June. Disciples who want to grow as disciples of Jesus can access our disciple-making toolbox at multiplythechurch.com and begin their journey. But don't go at it alone. Whether you are just starting or excited about Growing as a disciple, remember, discipleship is one-on-one or one-on-a-few at its core. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we seek to do. So check out multiplythechurch.com slash resources and begin your path to multiply today. Well, it took you, Katie, a few years to find your ministry space. We've alluded to it a few times in this discussion. And this is the last thing I want to touch on today with you because I think it's it's worthy to point out. Like we we started with youth, we talked about we just we loved youth ministry. I was ready to move on. You weren't quite ready to move on. I wasn't. You enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that season, it was time for us to move on and, and make way for the next folks to come in to lead youth. Um, you tried as I was in the senior pastor role, you tried Kidmen. Um, you did some admin stuff with the staff. Of course, different, having different kids over those years uh, was in the mix of this as well. Um, but then there was a point where you decided, this was kind of post number five, you were like, I think I can do some work again. I like the idea of making coffee. Um, so talk a little bit about that. Let's be clear. I worked one day as a barista, and yeah. that's all I wanted. And what you found out later was called the princess shift. Right. Um, Which they now still say that. And I'm like, you guys, I'm going to get rid of this. This is <laughs> terrible. So talk about your journey of this whole barista to helping manage to now being the director of Coaster Coffee and finding your space in uh, in, in the ministry, really. Um, so I, I guess I'll, I'll quickly run through it. So I was a barista, uh, at our, um, our, our church opened, uh, Coaster Coffee in Norfolk, Virginia, and it is a nonprofit. It is outreach outside the walls of the church. Um, you can be in the church and be mission on mission, but we decided that a separate location was, and we, I guess I was, you know, by association, 
um, decided that the that place would happen outside the walls of the church. Um, and I went to be a barista about a year after the last baby was born. No, six months. He was only six months old. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to get out of the house, I needed something to do. So one shift a week, uh, maybe a little bit more if they needed it. Uh, for baking or something, and that was it. I was all I needed, just a little bit. Um, it wasn't even about, you know, just making my own money or anything. It was just I wanted to get out of the house, um, be good at something else, have conversations with other people besides um, children. Mm-hmm. And uh, soon we would fast forward to the need for more space available on the leadership team at the coffee shop, and I was asked to help with that which I promptly said no to, and twice. <laughs> and I think in that about 48 hours, I um, God really just revealed my heart for, for the mission outside the walls of our church because I think, um, this is just hitting me now, that our youth represents the, a demographic outside the walls of our church. They're in a really hard time in their life and so you get all across the board so that's what I see on a daily basis that's what our baristas see on a daily basis you see all types of people you have different conversations with everyone that you can imagine and I I really had a heart for that Um, I think it took me too long to find that Um, I also know that you know we've only been in business for five years so um, that what I've found is the discipling aspect of that. I love the customers. The customers are great. But what I love the most is discipling the people who work at the coffee shop. I love that. Um, one of the questions on the application is, uh, we like to hire for six months or more. What are your plans for to stay in the area? Basically, that's my way of saying, I want to pour into your life for at least six months can't really get to know you in three months. I can't really help you make a life change in six months. And I know it doesn't have anything to do with me, but I believe that I was placed there to help people, to help move people along in their life, um, whatever stage that they come in at. Um, And I've seen so many people leave better than they came in. And it's it's wonderful to see. Um, It's wonderful to be an organization that can love their employees and um, do I get it right all the time? No, not at all. Um, you know, I struggle with things on a personal basis and those carry over into work. And so I hope that I'm doing just as much as I can, no matter what position in life I have, what title in life I have, right? Um, because in the end, I love Jesus and I just want to love you too. That's it. Um, so it seems like, You've grown as a disciple of Jesus by finding your space to be able to minister to people and make disciples. Um, you know, disciple making for you looked more like something in your job, mm-hmm. and you were able to leverage that and take advantage of that. I think in all this quiet time that we've had with um, kid-free time in the last month or so, um, I've realized that all those years where we've been, you know, telling people to, to find someone to disciple or be discipled, find someone who knows more than you and and be discipled. I'd been sitting in the pew 
right? It's, we don't have pews, but I'd been sitting in the pew for years hearing that, wondering how was I going to do that with five kids? I mean, in the last four years with five kids, but even with, with two and three and four and now five. And how was I going to disciple somebody if I, you know, that w- I was discipling as a mom. That, that's where that point was. So now that I have this job and the opportunity to disciple people, um, you know, sometimes th- that space to disciple someone is going to take away from other places in your life. Um, when you pour into somebody, you can't keep pouring into multiple people too. So when you disciple someone, when you, when you have a few disciples, you, you don't advise over, you know, three people in your core group, right? In, a, in that kind of setting, yeah, sure. Right. There's a reason for that. It's exhausting. It's good, but it's, but it's exhausting, and it, it takes time. And so I, I really found that um, I love knowing about people's lives, the why behind, you know, I, I like the story. I want to know about the story. Um, so yeah, that did I, am I, did I answer the question? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And, and so this serving at the, at the coffee shop and now being the, the leader at the coffee shop, um, Coaster Coffee has, has led to some other opportunities that have been unearthed for you, um, that you weren't necessarily uh, aware of before. That were some community involvement type of things where you're now, um, on the board of the Ocean View Business Association, um, why was that something that was an important space for you to enter into? So initially I, um, so in my, in my care aspect of wanting to just provide care, <laughs> I saw a need that wasn't being met and it was administrative, which I'm high in. So I love helping with paperwork and emailing people and, and connecting too. So um, that administrative duty wasn't being filled and I wanted to help with that. So I just came on as a help. And then that would lead to a little bit more responsibilities, which I love. But what what's my initial thought to just be in the business association was to be in a room with business owners that loved their business and I wanted to know why. Because I loved the business of people. Coffee's fine. But it's just, it's just a reason to sit down at a table with someone else. And the person is the point, not our product. Our, pot, our product is great. Um, but that's not the point. The people are the point. And so I wanted to know what was driving these other businesses. Um, uh, sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's legacy. Sometimes it's just... Um, they want it, they're entrepreneurial in spirit, you know, but I was learning from those, that space. What I moved to then after that was just really understanding that my love was business as mission. Um, again, that business was an avenue to put me in front of people and just explain that I wanted to care. Um, I want to care through a cup of coffee. I want to care through the fun t-shirt that's on the rack. Uh, I want to care through a clean rug when you walk through the door. And a, hey, how are you? And people standing there just literally waiting for the next person to come in the door. Um, When you answer the door at your house, they don't ring the doorbell and you say, come on in. You open the door. And um, that's just a huge caring aspect. And so um, there's so many different business models in our area. 
but I wanted to use that caring aspect of our business to reach others and then also learn people because I didn't know a lot of people in, in business and then connect them. That's the most fun for me. Yeah. Connecting people. Yeah. So this, um, this kind of community aspect of business on mission or business as mission, um, you know, was really the kind of the foundation for starting the coffee shop in the first place for us was we, um, we want to, we have the goal of making disciples of Jesus beyond the walls of the church. And, um, so we want to not, we want to make further growing and maturing disciples, but also new disciples. And so one of the ways we do that is to be on mission with God. And we'll talk, um, more about this aspect of business as mission actually in the next episode. But I wanted you to introduce the topic really because um, it's something that I think you kind of knew intuitively and then kind of fell into and started to really put together some great practices. So now we host the OVBA meetings back at Coaster again, and it's um, it's an exciting uh, space for you to show hospitality and just uh, connect people in our space. And um, that's a that's a really important aspect of this, right? That's the visionary in you because I didn't know that about me. Yeah, and <laughs> I guess that's it, right? It's just that I know I knew conceptually what I wanted to happen, but I didn't necessarily know how to make it happen. And you guys kind of made it happen uh, at the coffee shop just because it was – I would talk about it in theory – and you guys would start to find these different avenues. I say you guys like you and Eric and Crystal and, and Chris and um, the different people that have led throughout the, mm-hmm. the time there. And um, and you're the one that really kind of brought it to brought it to light with the OVBA aspect. And so, um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. And I think all the, what we're saying in this and just this little last portion here is just to say, find your space in ministry, you know, and uh, your space in your case, Katie, was not necessarily like, embracing that traditional pastor's wife um, uh, role. It was not going to be that for you. So you had to find your space. And it took some time, quite a bit of time, um, to really find where you could uh, thrive um, in, in ministry. And so I'm excited that that has been your space and that you've been able to, to seek that out and find that. But if you're listening to this and uh, today, and you've, you've made it this far, um, I hope you're asking yourself really the same question. How do I find my ministry space and the place that I can serve the Lord and serve others in a way that allows me to exercise my gifting? Uh, we're called to make disciples and multiply our efforts to the next generation. So I hope this has encouraged you to find it and multiply it today. So let's, uh, let's leave the folks with a couple of resources. Um, what you got for us today? Well, I have a, um, I'm reading a book right now that was uh, uh, referred to me by a friend at the gym, actually. Uh, she's a very, very smart, wonderful, wonderful person. And it is um, my friend at the gym, that is. Um, but the book is by Brene Brown. Uh, she's a doctor in uh, psychology. It's called The Gifts of Imperfection. Let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. Um, now, like I said, she's a doctor of psychology. Uh, this, book, this book focuses on the guilt and shame aspect associated with the pressures of your history and current circumstances. Um, I think that's something that I've struggled with quite recently. Um, I am uh, um, going to a biblical therapist 
Um, I think it's been a huge step for me in my growth, um, finding my identity and know who, knowing who um, God wants me to be. Um, I think that I, I know that, but I think that sometimes we need a little bit of reminder because our um, when you go through traumatic experiences, and I've not had anything you know seriously traumatic in my life happen recently, but I think that um, sometimes we just... Um, let things compound and we don't deal with them. And uh, I think it's a healthy space to um, uh, flesh those out at, su- at different points in your life. Um, she gave me this, my friend gave me this book and it did uh, not come from Amazon. And I'm reminded because Robbie has a t-shirt on that says the book exchange. It is a local Shout out. bookstore uh, here where we are in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, Buy your book used and buy it local. Amazon does not need your money. (laughs) That's my local spiel. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Well, for me, in addition to the Jesus Storybook Bible that we've already mentioned by Sally Mm -hmm. Lloyd-Jones, that would definitely be a resource for your family, your kids. A great refreshing way to just, it's not a Bible, but it's it's the storybook of uh, different major stories in the scriptures. It's super helpful. Uh, In addition to that, I would say The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller um, is a great foundational book. And there's a lot of, you know, marriage books out there. Um, So be careful, um, you know, because Mm -hmm. some of them are just very pragmatic and not very theological. You can bet with Tim Keller things are going to be theological and uh, very practical with his wife, uh, Kathy, in that one. So uh, that's a great one. So those are our resources for today. And don't forget about our Behind Open Doors Spotify playlist, affectionately called the Bod Pod (laughs) Mix. Uh, It's a good selection of music that we're listening to. And so uh, Katie will add her selections to the Bod Pod Mix as well. Um, You're not allowed to add 90s hip hop. What? Um, most like maybe some '90s R&B would be okay. Um, so we gotta be uh, we gotta be careful. I think every episode we've made a reference of some sort to '90s hip hop. Um, so um, I had to get that in there. I got a lot of that. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, but you can go to our podcast page and check that out. For now, it's time to close down the podcast. But remember, the doors are wide open here with the Multiply family. If you've found this podcast helpful, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. This helps us to be seen by other folks who may enjoy a behind-the-scenes discussion like this. You can also join our Facebook page where we have further discussions about each episode. And finally, you can share this episode and others to your social media pages. Thanks for being with us today, Katie. You've been listening to the Behind Open Doors podcast, where we take you behind the scenes, discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. Let the word dwell richly in you, and may God multiply your efforts for the kingdom.